Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. And I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. We get the opportunity today to look at a very interesting passage of Scripture. It's found in Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 55. It's also found in Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 37. And it's found in Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 36. For our purposes today, we're going to be focusing upon Matthew's account And we'll start by going through verses 1 through verse 36. It says, Jesus left the temple area and was going on his way when his disciples came up to to point out the temple buildings to him. But he responded and said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will mislead many people. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for those things must take place, but it is not yet the end. For a nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Then they will hand you over to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by by all nations because of my name. And at that time many will fall away, and they will betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise up and mislead many people. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will become cold. But the one who endures to the end is the one who will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get things out of his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those women who are pregnant, and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Moreover, pray that when you flee, it will not be winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will again. And if those days had not been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ. For he is over here. Do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will provide great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness. Do not go out. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, 
The moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And the sign, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with great trumpet blasts. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Now that now learn from the parable, now learn the parable from the fig tree. As soon as its branches have become tender and sprouts its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. As Jesus left the temple on that incredible Tuesday, after his scathing rebuke of the Pharisees, his apostles called his attention to the magnificence of the structure. And you know, when you read descriptions of the the temple, it must have been something to behold. It has been said that the building covered an area of approximately 19 acres when all was put together, all of the different courts. There were those who viewed it as one of the wonders of the world. The Jewish Talmud says, He that never saw the temple of Herod never saw a fine building. Jesus took the opportunity to make an incredible prediction. He essentially said, You see all of these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And within 40 years, that aspect of the prophecy was fulfilled. For examination of the teaching of Jesus, which was done privately to his apostles, I think Matthew makes it a little bit easier by putting it in order. Jesus had just predicted the destruction of the marvelous temple, the center of Jewish worship. Surely, to the apostles, such an event could only mean the end of the world. I mean, to them, the two events were inseparable. So they asked Jesus, tell us, when shall these things be? And when shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Mark wrote, tell us then, what shall, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And Luke said, in Luke 21, verse 7, Master, when shall these things be, and what t- sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? Even though the apostles viewed their questions as related to the same event, I don't believe Jesus did. He divided his answer into two sections. First, Jesus addresses the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. He told them when it would happen and the signs to indicate that it was about to happen. He told them that it would take place before that generation passed away. I think after that, Jesus addressed the second coming using some of the same kind of language. But concerning that event, Jesus said that there would be no signs to indicate that it was coming, and no one knew when it would be. All sorts of signs would indicate the destruction of Jerusalem was close. There would be deceivers who would come claiming to be the Christ. Josephus certainly tells us that happened. Not only would there be false messiahs, there would be wars and rumors of wars. Revolts were constantly breaking out in different parts of the Roman Empire prior to 70 AD. Josephus even mentions wars among the Jews instigated by the Zealots. 
famines and pestilence would be a problem. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 28, we read of a terrible famine that took place during the time of Claudius Caesar, which would place it sometime around 45 to 54 AD. Even earthquakes would occur. Alfred numbers five great earthquakes during this time. The church would suffer tremendous persecution before the destruction of Jerusalem. One needs only to read the book of Acts to see that this came to pass. Christians were driven from their homes. They were arrested. They were beaten. They were hauled into prison and before civil authorities, and they were even killed. Not only would the church have to deal with such outside persecution, it would also have to deal from false teachers from within. I think of Hymenaeus and Alexander, Philetus and Phagellius, as well as Hermogenes, to name a few. Yet the gospel would go into all the world. Paul wrote of this being fulfilled in Romans chapter 10 and verse 18 and Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23. The book of Romans was probably written in late A.D. 57 or early 58, while Colossians was probably penned sometime in around A.D. 58. The abomination of desolation refers to the time when the standards and the idolatrous symbols of Rome would be rise or rose risen in the holy place of the temple. In Luke chapter 21 and verse 20 we find, And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Now concerning the coming of Christ in the end, um, I know that Paul taught in Thessalonians that his coming would be as a thief in the night. So I do definitely see a contrast or a distinction there between the two comings in that uh, thieves in the night do not uh, give a lot of warnings or indications. Um, so we just need to always be vigilant and ready. Uh, my attention was grabbed by the last sign that was stated in Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to the nations. Then the end will come. Well, we read about that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, where it says that... Um, not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard and which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So in Colossians, he says, Paul preached to every creature under heaven, and that was one of the signs that would come to pass, that he would be a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. So after the Colossian epistle, uh, it was ripe. It was ready uh, for that judgment to come. You know, following immediately upon the heels of the destruction of Jerusalem, certain other signs would occur. The language of verse 29 is so similar to language that it was used in the Old Testament in reference to the fall of nations. Ezekiel wrote of the fall of Egypt in very similar language in Ezekiel chapter 32, verses 7 and 8. The fall of Babylon was described by Isaiah in much the same kind of language in Isaiah chapter 13 and verse 10. It is reasonable to believe that the fall of Jerusalem could be depicted in the same way. When considered carefully with the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, the sun of Judaism was setting. It would shine no more. 
This was all indicative of Christ coming in power. What would happen to Jerusalem would show that Jesus was executing judgment. Verse 31 is pretty interesting to me. Angel simply means a messenger. That is the idea of how it is being used here. The idea is that once the hindrance of Judaism was essentially removed, the gospel would be more easily spread to the four corners of the earth. Just as they would know that summer was coming when the fig tree blossomed, they would know that the fall of Jerusalem was very close when they saw the signs. But you know, as we talk about this chapter, and admittedly, it is a difficult chapter to know exactly what it is talking about, verse 34 is crucial to understanding this message from Jesus. It is crucial because it tells us when all of the events talked about in verses 2 through 33 were going to take place. Jesus said, This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. The word generation meant the present generation, a contemporary race, a people living at the same time. That is an adjective that is used to describe the generation. It was this generation, the people living when Jesus spoke. This would surely come to pass. They could depend upon it. You know, a lot of uh, some of what Jesus teaches here in Matthew 24, also Luke 21, uh, shows that a part of his explaining these things to his disciples was that they might be prepared for it and might might be able to save themselves, might be able to escape. Luke says in 21:36, "Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass." Jesus' teaching in Matthew 24 was that when you see uh, Rome surrounding surrounding Jerusalem, when, when you see them draw near, that's the time for you to flee. Verse 20, 16, flee to the mountains. If you're on the housetop, don't even go down to retrieve your possessions. Don't go get your clothes. Woe to the pregnant, because it's going to be difficult to travel. Pray that it not be in winter or on the Sabbath, because Nehemiah thirteen nineteen taught us that they closed the gates of the city so that no... Uh, business was done on the south that would make fleeing more uh, more difficult and so there was a hope that you would be saved by watching and of course the idea that this would refer as many uh, teach that it refers to the end of the world just does not make any sense what fleeing to the mountains would do in order to to save yourself wherever you are on the globe that day will find you, right? Well, Ross, you want to go ahead and read verses thirty-six through fifty-one. Okay. Uh, one more thing. Too. Okay. Don't be sh- don't be shaken by all of the apocalyptic-sounding end of the world language of the darkening of the sun and the moon failing to give its light and all of that. A simple understanding of the way that the Old Testament uses that kind of language will show. He's not talking about any cataclysmic uh, uh, outer space kind of thing. This is language that was indicative of the fall of a nation. Isaiah 13 verse 10 uses this language of the fall of Babylon. 
when it says, For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. So this is God putting the lights out, uh, knocking the lights out of the nation. When it talks about the Son of Man appearing in heaven and coming in the clouds, he, Isaiah used this language when describing the destruction against Egypt in chapter 19, verse 1. Behold, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and will come into Egypt. You know, talking about that same destruction, Ezekiel used language very similar in chapter 32, verses 7 and 8. So the point you're making is certainly a valid point, one that needs to be considered as we seek to understand what this passage is actually talking about. All right, 36 through 44. Through 51. Through 51. (laughs) But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day, when he is not looking for him, and at an hour that he is not aware of, and will cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It seems to me, as we examine Matthew chapter 24, that verse 36 is a transitional verse. It kind of marks the Lord's change to a different subject as he answers their second question. He'd been talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Now his subject is that day and hour. That expression, that day and hour, is used several times in the New Testament with reference to the second coming and final judgment. If you're taking notes, Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, Matthew chapter 11, verse 22, John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10, and 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 18 and chapter 4 and verse 8. And those are just a, a few of the many times that that phrase of this day or that day and hour is used with reference to the second coming. 
the th- I think the important point to make and, and to help us to understand that is that there would be no signs given to indicate the second coming was at hand. No, it's going to be just like in the days of Noah, when everybody continued in their normal affairs and did not know when the rain would come. That's how the return of Jesus would be. The statement about one being taken and the other left is the idea of separation that will occur at that time. We'll see more of that talked about in Matthew chapter 25. Obviously, since the time of the return is not known, all must be constantly ready. If a man knew when a thief intended to break into his house, he would prepare himself. Well, in such an hour as we do not think, the Son of Man will come. A faithful servant is always prepared for the return of his master. Uh, In Luke's account, uh, it follows the same kind of structure where it says, This generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass, my words will not pass. So just like Matthew 24. And then uh, Luke's account says, uh, and it, it's uh, again, it's likened to 36 and following, but he says, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. So Luke is, is likewise talking about the kinds of things that will distract us from being aware of the coming of the Lord. Uh, and that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on those who dwell in the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. So it seems like there is a blending of, uh, of the idea of whether, whether you're looking for the coming of Jesus in 70 AD or you're talking about the end of the world. Identify that there are things that will cause you to become distracted and to, and to fail to watch for his coming. You know, ultimately, the, the, the question is, are you prepared? Be prepared. That is the point, the primary point of not only Matthew chapter 24, certainly verse 36 on, but including also Matthew 25, which we will get to in the next episode. We want to thank each and every one of you who listens in and encourage you to invite your friends. Some of the things that the gospel has to say are interesting and difficult to understand, but they are understandable. So thank you for listening. Till next time.